The following is recorded from Marine Creek Church. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Happy fifth anniversary, everybody. Isn't that exciting? Some of you are like, no. <laughs> no, I'm Pastor Matt. I'm glad you're here. If this is your first time here, um, like Ryan said, that, that Connect card looks like this. If you'd fill that out, we'd love to get some information to you about who we are and kind of what, what we're all about. Um, and uh, uh, we can contact you, and then you can put that in the giving station on the way out. I've got um, a couple things to go through. <laughs> That's one of those is my kids and my, and my niece. But uh, today's our fifth anniversary, and these are some collections of pictures. Um, oh, the setup and teardown. I don't miss that one bit. Not once. Never once since we have moved. Have I woken up on a Saturday going, you know, I wish we could set up today. I really do. Or when I'm leaving church on a Sunday at a normal time where I can go fight everybody else at the lunch crowd, like, I wish we were tearing down right now. I might in the summertime when it's 3,000 degrees and I'm like, you know, I really miss tear down. Not really. I won't. I won't say that. Um, but the last five years have been incredible. Uh, five years ago, yesterday was the day we launched, March 21st, 2010, and uh, it was snowing. And I was like, God, what have you done? Why did you call us to do this? Ain't nobody going to show up in snow. And uh, so we, we made it through our first service. And uh, earlier backstage, I was talking to Ryan. I was like, can you believe we've been doing this for five years? I mean, it doesn't seem like that. It has been an incredible, incredible journey. Um, some of, I asked some people to provide some comments just about what the last several years have meant. Some have been here for five years. Some of y'all remember that first weekend, and some of y'all, this weekend is your first weekend. And, and God has brought you, and he's brought the creek together for a special time, a special purpose. And I'm excited about the season we're going to remember and celebrate, but I'm excited about the season to come. But uh, I had some people write some comments, and uh, I'm going to read them to you. The creek holds a special place in my heart because it is the place where I rediscovered Christ and really came to know him. I'm thankful for the opportunity to be a part of this church family. Another one, the creek is to me not just my church, but my family. Then in the five years, the past five years serving at the creek have been an amazing, humbling, learning, and passionate journey on God's path. I'm amazed at what God has done and is doing and so blessed to be a part of this family. Another one, I've been so blessed to be a part of this church home that is made up of people I can call family. A church that preaches truth no matter how hard it might be. I'm blessed to have known and been a part of this church for the last five years. I'm excited to share the love of Christ and be a small part for many years to come. You know, when we launched the church, we were very clear on what we wanted to see happen. I wanted to see lives changed by the message of the gospel. That as we preach truth, as we speak truth, as we live truth, then lives are changed as a result of that. And uh, I asked uh, our team to put together some numbers. And over the last five years... Um, 62 people have marked on this card that I'm rededicating my life to Christ. I'm kind of re-upping, restarting my relationship with Jesus. Now, there's been many more, but we we track cards. And so uh, 62 of those. 58 people in the last five years have checked this card to say, I'm starting a new relationship with Jesus. I didn't know that he was my savior. I didn't know what he did for me on the cross. But after hearing it, they say, you know what? I need life. I need faith. I need hope. I need something beyond myself. And they put their faith, their trust in Jesus. 
They checked this card so we could help walk with them through that process of what it means to grow in a relationship with Christ. And then 124 times we've been able to baptize. I love that. That's huge. Yeah, you can clap for that. (laughs) Especially... Especially what's clapworthy in that is that we've never had our own baptism tank until we moved into this facility, and we had an inflatable pool from Cabela's. So that's how we roll, right? And uh, no heater, by the way. <laughs> we did a. I really wanted to do this on our first anniversary. We did a baptism on our first anniversary, a day like today. Not real warm, overcast. So can you imagine going swimming on a day like today? I mean, we just blew up that pool, and we put the hose in it, filled it up, and after service, we had baptisms, baby. It was cold, okay? There were some people that thought they were going to go meet Jesus right after that baptism from hypothermia. I'm like, just keep your arms and legs moving. It'll be all right. Um, crazy. And then we got a, a baptism. Uh, across the street from the daycare was a pool, and we could do baptisms in there a couple times. And I fulfilled a lifelong dream. I did a cannonball in the baptism tank. Um, technically, it was a pool, but that week it was a baptism tank. You can't do it in the tank we have now. You'll break your hip and end up with some paralysis or something. Um, uh, but I, I just, so many memories uh, over the last five years, and there's, there's a lot of things to, ha- to, to come. Um, but right before we launched, I've got to say that it was an incredible time of silence from God. In the summer of 2009, God really made it clear to Heather and I that, that he was calling us to launch a church. Didn't know where. When we'd ask where, we'd pray about where, just silence. I mean, nothing. It was as though heaven had shut up. It was like God said, I want you to launch a church, and then we got nothing else. For months, it was, I've got to say, it was very aggravating because I'm a planner, and I like having everything in line. I do struggle with some control things. I like to, I like to, I like to know my timelines. I don't care about controlling people. I want to control my situations, right? We're all the same way in that. And God just wasn't speaking anything. And so we were just like, God, here's a blank check. We'll go wherever you want us to go. We were taking road trips. We were going to visit friends of ours. Um, we were praying about different areas. I, I've, I've repented, and, and you have forgiven me on this, but I was really hoping that God would call us to plant the church in Fairhope, Alabama. Oh, it's a beautiful city. Oh, my gosh. If you've never been there, just look it up. Google it. And the guy who wrote Forrest Gump uh, was, is from there, which is one of the greatest movies of all time. If you haven't seen that, you know, I'll pray for you to get saved and see Forrest Gump. And... Um, but that's where I wanted to go. And our process was this. We would get an idea of a city because God just wasn't saying, go here. And so we would take a trip to that, that town, that city. We would go right to the center, and Heather and I would pray. And, and we would pray, God, give us your peace. If this is where we're supposed to be, give us a peace that moves beyond understanding. Let us know beyond a shadow of doubt. Let there be incredible and perfect peace in our spirit. If it's not where you want us to be, then just create turmoil. Don't give us peace. Let us, just, let us feel the, that this is absolutely not where we're supposed to be. And in the city center of Fairhope, unfortunately, God said there's no peace here. And that happened time and time and time and time and time and time again. And so finally we got to a point where we announced to our former church that we were on staff with that that God was calling us to launch a church. Didn't know where. That was a fun day. Then I left town because I knew there's going to be thousands of suggestions coming in. So I was like, Heather, why don't you deal with this? I'm going to go pray. I'm going to go get quiet. But she called me while I was out of town and um, 
She said, what about Azel? And I'm like, all right, we'll check it out. We'll run the process. The process was we're going to research a city. We'll go into the center of it. We will pray. If there's peace, that's where we're going to be. So we went, I got back. We went to Azel, and, and uh, there was no peace. And coming back, well, there was just, it was one of those just incredible moments because I, I thought I knew exactly where I was going. Um, we were coming back from Azel, and I'm like, I know a shortcut now, I wasn't real familiar with the area of 199 and in between Boat Club and all that area. And I didn't know there was a nine-mile bridge and a 10-mile bridge. And they're not the same thing, folks. It's not if you stay on nine-mile bridge for another mile, it becomes 10-mile bridge. No, no, no. They're completely separate things. Long story short, I ended up getting us lost. We ended up on nine-mile bridge, and we turned left. We turned north on Huffines Boulevard in the Marine Creek Ranch. And the only way I can explain it to you is, is like a phone that needs a data update that when we turned the car and it, it pointed north, God stopped the car. And it was like that update just, just happened. And then Heather and I are sitting there on the side of the road. We're actually blocking a lane of traffic. Um, and God's just downloading all this information. Like, this is what I want the church to be about. All this stuff that I wanted to put together, but God says, I'll give it to you when you get there. And it was that moment that God said, you're there. Now, here's what I want your vision to be. Here's, and he starts showing us vision. He starts showing us the values for the church. He starts just giving us all of this information and structure. And it was just, I mean, it was moving us to tears. And I was like, this, I mean, it was just incredible. And I thought, well, now let's get to work on the hard stuff. And that was, that was in December. It was after Christmas. And so we got to work on the stuff. We had a, the, the first meeting in my parents' living room. And we shared the vision for the creek because God just gave it to us. We just wrote what God gave us. And then we had this meeting and 27 people said, we're in, we're with you, let's go. And then I saved the easy part for the last because I knew I'd need a good quick win. And the easy part, I thought, was the location. <laughs> I thought, we'll just rent a school. There's churches that rent schools. That's going to be the easy thing. Oh, I was wrong. What I thought was going to be the easy thing was the most difficult piece of launching the church. We had a countdown. We were on the clock. We're mid-January, and we got nowhere to meet. And finally, a principal says, I'll meet with you. So we go in, and we sit down. Heather and I, I mean, we are praying it up. We've got a team of people that are from our, our previous church that were on our launch team, and they were, they were praying for us, and it was a short-term mission trip for them, and they're praying for this meeting, and our, our core team is praying for this meeting, and Heather and I go in. We're just full of faith, I and mean, we're like, this is it. God is just, he's given us this. I mean, this is awesome, and we go, and we sit down with the principal. We have a great conversation, and then she says, well, I'm willing to lease the school to you, but here's the stipulations. You have to own land and be in a building process or you have to be in the contract process of buying your own building. And this is only a 52-week lease, period. I got to tell you what I think. And I just looked at the principal and I said, we're not going to be able to lease your school. But God did something in that moment that I think forever changed the trajectory of the creek. The conversation went not from how can you as the school help us as a church, but how can us as a church help you as a school? And that spring break, we were filling backpacks for those kids because they were worried about kids being home over spring break not having food to eat. 
And I think that started the culture of us helping the schools, and that's continued with Northbrook and the other schools that we, we invest in and we give to. And at Christmas, we, we provide Christmas. That's where that started from. And we came out of that meeting kind of deflated, and one of the girls from our, our launch team called and said, so when is the first service? I mean, no, we knew when the first service was, so is that going to be it? And I had to do something every leader hates. I had to admit failure. No. We're not going to be able to lease a school. We have no idea where we're going to meet. Our first service is in eight weeks, and we don't know where we're going to meet. And she said, well, I've got a friend that manages a daycare, and that's all I heard because the thought of a daycare went through my mind. Now, if you've been in a daycare, you know where I'm tracking with this. Poopy diaper smell? Uh Uh-uh. Negatory, good buddy. Vomit? Nay, nay, verily I say unto thee. All this is going through my mind, and then the Holy Spirit says, maybe you ought to check it out. And Holy Spirit, number two, Heather, she's like, maybe you ought to check it out. So I'm like, I guess we ought to check it out. So we scheduled a meeting with the director of the daycare, who is an incredible Christian woman. Daycare was brand new. It still smelled like paint the first time we went in there. And it wasn't as though I was seeing a daycare. It was God giving me his eyes to see what he wanted to do. And for four and a half years, we met in a daycare. And I thought, every time we got to a point of we don't know what to do, we've got to find another place. No place ever opened up. There was no favor in, in moving. And God gave us creativity. We added services. We, we added chairs. We, uh, we added a video overflow room. If you, don't, if you never came to us in the daycare, um, let, let me help you with, you're sitting in a, a comfortable seat today and you got some room. We squeezed 120 chairs in the square footage of this platform. It was on, all right? And if you didn't have a good deodorant, the whole church knew it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then what happened in the, in the history is, is God's just given us creativity, creativity. He says, look, I created everything. Why don't you ask me for ideas? And so we started praying, God, we want you to be the creative genius behind everything we do. And when we got to the point of a space issue in the daycare and, and not knowing how to add more services, we couldn't add more space, we started praying about it. We launched this campaign to think we're going to buy land and start building a, a building. And in that process, I met Pastor Steve Hinton from Heartsong. And they had started this facility the same year we launched the creek. And we began a relationship. We started talking about what could be. And and Steve had some incredible God ideas. And and as those came together, um, what ended up happening was God's creativity bringing two churches together. Because this is a facility, if you're new, this is a facility that two churches meet in the same facility. Heartsong Fellowship is going to have their service at 1230. That's why if you're in the lobby and it's getting after the second service, start flicking the lights. Hey, we love you, but we'll see you next week because we want them to be able to come in. And we've got two churches with different identities that are sharing the same facility, and that's the creativity of God throughout the process. It's been an incredible journey. It's incredible to remember the five years. One of the things that is good about remembering is seeing God's faithfulness. Because in that desert time when he just wasn't saying anything to us, 
I was thinking, God, are you, are you there? I know, I know you've called us to do this, but what is going on? And then I start questioning, God, did you really call me to do this? Or is this just something that, that I, I, I thought of and I tried to do under my own power and now you're like, you wanted to do this on your own power, go do it. And I'm gonna let you fail to realize you need me in this. But through all of that time, God's faithful. If you're in a season where God's not speaking you, you're not hearing him clearly, keep being faithful because he who is faithful will endure to the end. And he, will, he has you. And he can see beyond whatever the thing is in front of you that's causing the silence or causing the issue or causing the problem or causing the frustration. And when I look back over the last five years of, of our history, it's God's faithfulness time and time and time and time and time again. Every Sunday, it never changes. I'm in awe of what I get to see God do in our community. And I'm energized because of the last five years, we've got another five years coming, ladies and gentlemen. I hope to be yelling at you and for another 50 years. Because here, here's, the, here's the vision. This is what God really opened my eyes to over Christmas. And this is part of the Go Initiative. Is I, I heard the numbers in the Alliance Heritage area. If you've driven it, you understand it. But there are 250,000 people in that section alone. Do you realize that means there's over a quarter of a million people within a 10-minute drive time of this location? Many of those don't have a church home. Many of those don't yet know that Jesus loves them and that he died for them. Many of them don't know that God doesn't just love them, but he deeply, deeply likes them. And we have a responsibility to go and tell them to love them, to make Jesus clear, to see their lives changed by the gospel. What really hit my, my, my heart was I was watching a show last week and it was called Escape and it was on the uh, tsunami in 2004. And do you realize that in one day, heritage population was wiped away? And I started thinking, God, that's how many of those people got to go home that day? How many of those people knew you? And God just lit a fire. And we have got to get the gospel to the world. We've got to tell the world who Jesus is. We've got to love people. We, and I'm not saying we stand on street corners and, and, and beat sin out of people and yell at people, but we love people. 250,000 people sounds like a lot, but when you think about the people who are in your sphere of influence, oh my goodness, you start, you start seeing those numbers exponentially go crazy. That's why we do the Go Initiative. The Go Initiative is for, uh, we're doing a leader training tonight at 6.30. And I told you, we're not gonna, this isn't gonna be a quick process. We wanna start this slow and we want it to be sustainable. So we're investing in the leaders and building the leaders. And then after Easter, we're gonna do some walks so we can walk some areas and see the need and do some prayer walks and pray for those areas to really get an idea of where God and what God and kind of hone that in. Because we don't want this to be something we just do this year. This is a culture thing. This is a pivotal moment like instead of using a school to help us, we say, how can we help you? 
And so that's what it becomes. And then we're going to, I'm looking forward to the next five years. So thank you guys. I love y'all. Um, let's go to Romans chapter seven so we can, we can get into this teaching. While you're turning to Romans chapter seven or going on your, the U version, let me, let me give you an announcement. Um, on Easter weekend, we got the Easter services on Saturday at 6 p.m. Then Sunday, we've got eight, 9.15 and 10.40 a.m. And uh, if you can help serve at one of those, please fill out this card and let us know. Um, if you want to help serve at Spring Spectacular, we have a table with signups in the lobby for you. There's a couple areas of need for Spring Spectacular that I want you to be aware of. Um, 11.30 to 1 is a time slot that we really need some extra help. So if you can serve from 11.30 to 1, that'd be awesome. Um, if you have a pop-up tent or an easy up that you can bring so we can get uh, into some shade, that'd be great. I'm, I'm claiming that right now, to get into shade, not get out of rain, okay? To get into some shade. And then if you've got kids under three, we have childcare for those that have kids under three. Um, we have some people that are, their service to Spring Spectaculars to help watch kids. And then the big one you heard Adam say, candy, 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 candy. We need some candy because uh, we want to love our community, but a secondary goal is also to get them so tanked on sugar that it's going to be a, a fun afternoon for everybody. Um, so here we go. Romans chapter 7. We're not going to finish 7. I, wanna, I do want to thank Trinity for uh, teaching the beginning of 7 last week. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful that it worked out on the schedule that he was going to preach last week in anyway. Otherwise, he would have gotten the dreaded call after midnight going, hey, bro, you're teaching tomorrow. I am sick. I spent last weekend sick, sick as a dog. I, I, I don't know where we get that from. But I'm sick as a dog, whatever. But um, he got to preach, and I'm grateful for him. So we're going to pick up uh, chapter 7. We'll start verse 7. And uh, we're going to talk about trouble with the law, because what Paul's been doing through this letter through Romans is he's really been tracking through how dark our situation is, um, how difficult uh, the sin situation is, and then what Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection has done in light of that, and what it does in our lives, that when we put our faith in him and we're justified by God through faith because of what Jesus did on the cross. And then he calls us to this process of sanctification. It means maturity. God calls us to grow in him and grow up in our spirituality. And you heard Trinity say that maturity doesn't come through the law, but through the Holy Spirit. And what Paul's getting into in this section is dealing with this idea of trouble with the law, getting in trouble with the law. This thought of Legalism. If you've grown up in church, you understand what this means. Um, if you've not grown up in church, you've probably had this as an accusation against the church that all it is is rules and regulations. And when I grew up in church, you know, you shouldn't dance. And I think that's true because I've seen some people dance, but it's not one of those things that if you dance, you'll go to hell. Um, or if you do this, you'll go to hell. Uh, we, we just had everything scared to us, scared out of us, so we'll follow a line and walk these rules and regulations. That's legalism. If you've broken free of that, um, then, then you live a different life. Now, the opposite side is, is not the, the place to be, and that's an abuse of grace, and that's, well, God, Jesus died for everything. He paid for it, so I can do whatever I want. No. We live in this balance, and what Paul is going to teach is this sanctification, this maturity doesn't come through the law. It doesn't come through the, the rules and regulations. It's, it's the trap of this. If we think that our holiness and our righteousness grows based on how many rules and regulations we have in our life and how we follow those rules and regulations, 
then we're going to get close to God and he's going to love us and he's actually going to like us and he's not going to kill us or smite us or, or he'll get off our back, he'll leave me alone and, and life will be good. And that's just, that's a sad way to live. So Paul goes on in this letter of explaining what the law is supposed to do. So chapter 7, verse 7, Paul says, What then shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. So what, the, what he's saying here is that the, the law reveals sin. Not that the law is sinful, but the law reveals sin. The law reveals something that creates a boundary, and sin is breaking that boundary. One of of the best examples that I I can think of in this is the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. It's where Jesus Jesus uses the law to reveal his sin. Let me me flip back to it and read read it to you. If you want to, it's Mark chapter 10. You don't have to go there. I put it in your notes so you can read it later this week. But Mark chapter 10, um, verse 17. As he was setting out, as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So he's recognizing that he's speaking to God. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. So what Jesus is doing is he's giving him law. He's giving him commandments back to say, you asking me for eternal life. What must you do to inherit eternal life? What must you do to have a reconciled relationship with with God as our father? Well, you know the law. But the law doesn't just deal with external actions. It deals with our heart as well. And the man said to him, Teacher, I've kept all those from my youth. Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You see, Jesus is using the law. Now, I don't want to cross a bridge and say the man coveted his stuff, but the man's heart was so tied to his stuff that he was unwilling to let that go to follow Jesus. There was such a desire to hang on to his stuff that he couldn't surrender everything. And Jesus used the law to reveal that you've got something holding you back. You know, I, I hear a lot of people read too much into that passage and say, well, why did Jesus, why, I mean, why couldn't Jesus just save him? Why, why, you know, what's the big deal? And then some people say, well, why couldn't he sell everything? Because if he could have seen how good God is and that God, I mean, God's going to take care of him. And I don't believe that God's obligated to give when we give. That if this man gives 10 bucks, God's obligated to give him a thousand bucks. To that pastor, my response would be, well, why don't you give me a thousand? So you get... Soapbox, I'm not going to go there. But we look at this, and let's just tie this to things in our life. Let's, let's look at this, because we look, he's asking him to sell of his, of his possessions and give that money to the poor. So let's talk about money for a second. 
Now, if you know me, I don't talk about this a lot. I, I probably need to talk about it a little bit more. Some people think that this is all we talk about in church, but it's not. Um, I believe God is sovereign and in control. We don't pass a plate. We have the giving stations. I believe if God wants us to do it, he's got the resources to cover it. But where do those resources come from? It comes from our obedience. So, so let's look at this because I believe there's, there's two reasons we don't do what God calls us to do. The first one is ignorance. And I mean no offense by this. It's just we don't know. This man approached Jesus out of ignorance. I don't know what to do to get eternal life. And Jesus said, keep the law. I've done that. There's one thing you lack. There's a heart issue. You're holding on to your stuff. Let it go. And come follow me. It's not that Jesus wanted this man broke, but he wanted him broken. To say, I'm, I'm not going to let that stuff have me. I'm going to possess that. That's not going to possess me. And so Jesus answers his question. Here's what you need to do for eternal life. Because I think if the conversation would have continued, he said, okay, I'll do it. I think Jesus would have gotten into the heart. This man wouldn't let Jesus get to his heart. So ignorance is one reason. I don't know I'm supposed to do this. You know, you look at giving. I don't know I was supposed to give. I didn't give for so long. I didn't tithe. I didn't, I didn't give to God because I didn't know I was supposed to. I just thought I'm supposed to pray, ask God to give me stuff. And that's good. I said the prayer, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, and I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. Now, can I have some stuff? And I was ignorant to it. And then I started going to church, and they started teaching about it, and I wasn't ignorant anymore. So why didn't I do it then? Look at the rich young man. It's not ignorance, but defiance. The young man walked away and said, I'm not selling. I'm disheartened. I'm sad. I'm going to miss out on eternal life, but I'm not giving that up. I'm, I'm defying that comment, Jesus. And so for a long time, I wouldn't give because I was defiant. And it's not that I folded my arms and said, I'm not giving anything to God. I don't trust pastors. I don't trust pastors. I don't trust most people. But I didn't say, I'm not giving to God anything. I mean, in the church I grew up in, there was a family that actually wrote their check, their tithe check, and said, given under protest. it'll cash just the same, but okay. But I've never done that. But let me tell you where my defiance came from. It was, God, I can't. I can't give to you. I don't have enough money in my budget to give you anything. I've got kids. I've got a house payment. I've got a car payment, insurance, gas, all this stuff. And God, I just don't have enough. If I, if I give that, I can't survive. And then I heard a pastor teach one time, and he said, he made this comment. He said, I would much rather have 90% blessed than 100% cursed. And then the pastor that we were under, the teaching, he, he, he said, you just got to start somewhere. So I started. Heather and I prayed about it. Okay, God, we're going we're gonna to do this. And you can get caught up in the legalism of giving. Should we do gross or net? Is it before tax, after tax? What should we do? You know what? Just pray about it and start doing something. Because it's not any more ignorance. It's not defiance. It's obedience. And I can tell you that God is blessing the creek because of your obedience. We're a generous church. 
We're able to give to the schools. We're able to do things in the community because of that obedience. And the, Jesus uses the law to reveal that. I mean, we, you, you can get very pharisaical about it, and they, they did it down to the leaf. On their plants, their herbs, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine for me, one for God. One, two, the, the law will trip you up in that, man. Here's what I've come to learn. I can't afford not to give to God. And if you've got trust issues with the church, come talk to me. I've been there. I know that. We have incredible accountability and, and our finances are overseen with, with men and women of some of the highest integrity I've ever seen in my life. So the law reveals sin. Verse 8. Um, chapter, uh, verse, nine, or verse 8. Uh, but sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetous, covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. So the law, what Paul is saying here is the law energizes sin or the law arouses sin. It kind of energizes it like steel does to a magnet. What, what, what happens is Paul said is you got sin was dead and then you got the law and then the law aroused sin because at the heart of who we are, we, we are our human nature is, is wired to rebel. And when we, see the, when we see the line, we're like, how close can I get to the line? There's a line in the carpet, by the way. Or it's an imaginary line. You can't see it. But we, we want to get as close as we can to that line. How close can we get? We're wired to rebel. If your mom told you not to do something, what's the first thing you did? Boom, you're going. <laughs> I learned this lesson in a really painful way. Between my third and fourth grade year in uh, elementary school. We were moving from West Virginia to North Carolina, and our church was throwing us a going-away picnic. And they did it at a park. And this park had a fireplace where you could put a grill over it and grill hamburgers. And I got to tell you, I was a pyromaniac when I was a kid, okay? I loved fire. I still love fire. I've got a fireplace, fire pit. I love fire, okay? And, and my dad and I, we would go cut wood on the farm, and that would be our winter wood. And then we'd pile the brush, and then there'd be times we could have a big bonfire. And it was, you know, I was doing it before Tom Hanks on Castaway, dancing around the fire, going, look what I have created. I mean, I just love fire. And so there's a fire at the, at the, the, the camp out or the cookout. And so we get out of the car and my mom says, don't go playing in the fire. <laughs> okay. Well, we had the coolest idea for the fire. We were taking sticks and we were putting styrofoam cups on the end of the stick. And we were going to make torches because that's way cooler than a flashlight. So we're taking the sticks and we're putting them in the fire and we're watching them melt. And this cup just goes, and it creates this ball on the end. And we're just like, this is the coolest thing ever. So I've got a cup, putting it on a stick. And my friend pulls his out of the fire to turn around and go, look. And then when he comes around, that cup, flaming cup, comes flying off the stick and lands on my hand. Well, if something is on fire on your hand, what is the first thing you do? Get it off. So I get it off, and I'm like, ah. I was like, okay, and it was dark. I was like, okay, everything's good, everything's good, everything's good. Now, if you've been burned really bad, you know, it goes numb really quickly. So I'm like, it's all good. I went over to the water fountain, ran some cold water on it, because that's what you do on a fire when you burn yourself right. And then, so I was like, okay, we're good. 
Less than a minute later, there was a scream that no one at that campground had ever heard in their life before because I stuck my hand into a bowl of potato chips. You ever heard of salt in the wound? Oh, yes, my friend, it is real. So I'm screaming, and they turn on the headlights, and my thumb, I mean, it's, it's burnt. It's like, it's nasty looking. I start crying. I, I, I'm, I'm just like, I, I'm never going to have a hand. I'm, I'm going to be deformed. What's going on? I mean, that was a long, painful process. All because I couldn't listen to my mama. Don't play in the fire. I think at the heart of every one of us, we're all pyromaniacs. How close can we dance to the fire? How close can we get to the fire but not get burnt? And the law energizes that in us. Well, you can't play with the fire. I got I to gotta at least try it. You tell your kids, don't touch that outlet. What are they going to do? Touch the outlet. Don't touch the stove. We didn't touch the stove. That's our human nature. And, and we, we tend to think that we can become more holy by rules and regulations. But what happens is that creates a legalistic system around us that creates more problems and honestly arouses more sin because we start trying to do it under our own power. I can follow this rule. I can follow that rule. I can do this. No, you can't. Paul said early in Romans, no one is righteous. No, not one. Every one of us, 100%, are guilty of breaking 100% of the Ten Commandments. We can talk about that another time, but it's true. So the law energizes the sin, and then the law condemns the sinner. Verse 10, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So what Paul's saying is, the law kills the sinner. It condemns us to death. The law can't save us. In Galatians 3.21, we see that, For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would be by the law. We know that righteousness is by faith and faith alone. The law can't give us life. It can only show me how imperfect I am. It shows me my need for a Savior. It shows me the condemnation of death that I am under. It shows me my need for a Savior. And we start to create these these rules and these boundaries around us that ultimately end up killing us. They'll kill us spiritually, and, and they can kill us physically. They'll kill us emotionally. And we start creating these boundaries. And, and Jesus said, I, didn't, I never wanted to create those boundaries around you. The law was given so you can see the need for me. And Jesus says, when I come, I come to set you free. And I set you free with a freedom that you cannot get through regulation. I read a comment this week that our old nature, our sin nature, knows no law. That our our wiring to rebel disregards the law. But our new nature, our spirit nature, when, when we're transformed and made new, that our new creature needs no law. So what does that mean? What does that look like? It means that, that when I'm focused on following Jesus and living in his grace and living so full and abundantly full of the Holy Spirit in my life, it's not about the rule. It's about following Jesus. It's about placing my delight in him and letting his delight wash over me. And I start walking through life in a way that pleases him and that shows my love for him. And it's not dancing along the line of the rules. 
I start, I, I get delight in my relationship with Heather by doing things for her. Over the last week, I've been, I've just been Mr. Handyman. And it's not that I love those projects. I like the result when they're done, but let me tell you what I love more, her delight. And it's not because she came in with a honeydew list and said, we got to fix the fence. I need this door done. I need this done. I need this done. And I'm like, okay, well, there's the list. See, in Christianity, we're always asking for the list. God, just give me the list. The rich young man, Jesus, what's the list to get eternal life? We come and sit in church week after week. What's the list to do this week so God will love me? I do these things for Heather because I delight in her. And she delights in me. You see, that's a different motivation. That's a heart motivation. That God, I want to live full of your spirit and, and full of your life so that I'm not bound by the law. I'm freed from the law and I live to your delight. And I let your delight wash over me. It's a transformational shift. And let's finish this up. Verse 12. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. The law shows the sinfulness of sin. Do we realize the true nature of our sin? I, I don't know that we always do because we excuse it with words like mistakes or weaknesses. And I, I, I joke about my weaknesses and my mistakes and things like that, but, but I, I need to get something, I need to get back to the core. I need to understand sin is sin. We need to call sin, sin. And, and it, it breaks the heart of God. And we see how devastating sin can be. The, the law is not sinful. We see here that the, the, the law is holy and just and good. I mean, David said, I meditate on it. It's honey on, like honey on my lips. I delight in the law of the Lord. The law is good. It's holy and it's just. But so when you, when you look at if something as good as the law and then sin gets involved and it produces these tragic results, then something has to be wrong. It's almost until we realize how wicked our sin really is and how how much our sin really grieves the heart of God, we will not want to oppose it and live in victory over it. We just continue to call it a weakness and a mistake. Then it becomes our, our pet that we put in the cage and we try to take that pet sin out of the cage to play with it every once in a while and put it back in and manage our sin. That will produce tragic results in our life. So what's the problem? If the law is good, the law is not the problem. The problem is with our sinful nature. The problem is this playing out because our sinful nature actually likes the law. Our sinful nature likes to sin, but it likes the law because it creates those places that bring that excitement. And Jesus has freed us 
from sin. And Jesus has freed us from the law. He came to fulfill the law, not abolish the law. He did that for us. And faith is what transforms us to no longer live under the law. But get this, faith transforms us to lovingly, obediently follow Christ. Let me, let me wrap it up this way. Um, I'm going to read to you this passage in the message translation. Now, the message is a paraphrase, and some people are just, they can't stand it, and some people really love it. I like reading it. If you struggle in your Bible reading, try reading the message translation because it breaks it down. You might not get a whole lot of meat for study, but you're going to get some, some understanding. And let me, let me read this to you. But I can hear you say, if the law was, a bad, was as bad as all that, it's no better than sin itself. That's certainly not true. The law code had a perfectly legitimate function. Without its clear guidelines for right and wrong, moral behavior would be mostly guesswork. Apart from the succinct surgical command, you shall not covet, I could have dressed covetousness up to look like a virtue and ruined my life with it. Do you remember how it was? I do perfectly well. The law code started out as an excellent piece of work. What happened, though, was that sin found a way to pervert the command into a temptation, making it a piece of forbidden fruit. The law code, instead of being used to guide me, was used to seduce me. Without all the paraphernalia of the law code, sin looked pretty dull and lifeless. And I went along without paying much attention to it. But once sin got its hands on the law code and decked itself out in all that finery, I was fooled and fell for it. The very command that was supposed to guide me to life was cleverly used to trip me up, throwing me headlong. So sin was plenty alive and I was stone dead. But the law code itself is God's good and common sense. Each command sane and holy counsel. Let's pray. As we think about this passage and we think about getting caught in this trap of legalism and and how the law and sin in the law starts to, to just bring death into our life ultimately. I just want to ask you, how are you doing with that? Are are you too hung up on following a list? Are you searching for a list? Or are you searching for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Are you searching for an answer on what you can do or searching for revelation on what He's done for you? Because I can tell you this, following, trying to live life, with the rules and regulations is exhausting. And there's a freedom that comes when Jesus can lead you in to a life that you lovingly, obediently pursue Him and the law gets fulfilled in your life. Jesus, we just bow before you and we just have a time of repentance forgive us for trying to manufacture our holiness or righteousness through rules and regulations 
And we acknowledge that your law is holy and just and good and your commandments are holy and just and they're good. But we see your law for what you intended your law to be and that's to reveal the sin in our life, to show us the tragic results of sin and we ask you right now to forgive us. Holy Spirit, fill us with your power. Enable us to live a life that pleases you, that brings you delight and lets your delight wash over us. Free us from the checklist, O oh God. And let us live and walk in your freedom and in a life that pleases you. Help us to leave changed this morning. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you.